the Sonic Cinema Production Podcast. Welcome back to the Sonic Cinema Production Podcast. I'm Jack Ward. I hope you're enjoying your summer or winter if you're south of the equator. This is the time of year where I try to have fun with old-time radio shows and recreations you can find on Sonic Summerstock Playhouse with David Alt. One of my inspirations has always been Candy Matson. She's certainly a draw from my Philippa Graves character, and I adore the story of the husband and wife team working together. In the summer of 2016, with an all-star Haligonian cast, we recorded The Black Cat. Let's begin, shall we? The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Hello, Yukon 2A209. The National Broadcasting Company presents Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Well, that was a pleasant afternoon, Rembrandt, dear. Pleasant, but unprofitable. As many times as I've been to the horse races, I never seem to have the gumption to quit when I'm ahead. Like Damon Runyon once said, horse players die broke. I'm also reminded of that old song, Horses Don't Bet on People. But the scenery was lovely. I enjoyed it. Yes, Golden Gate Fields is a beautiful park. Why are you headed up into Berkeley Hills, Candy? I wanted to avoid that traffic on the East Shore Highway this time of afternoon. And two, I just had a thought. Bully for you. So few people have them anymore. What might the idea be? I know a cozy little spot to eat over in Lafayette. How would you like to have dinner there instead of town? Splendid, girl. Sounds delightful. My, this is rather forlorn country up this way. Yes, the real estate boys haven't caught up with it yet. Wait till they see the results of the recent census. Homes will be sprouting all over those hills like poppies are now. What was that? It came from back there, Candy. Must be from that house. It's the only one around here. Yes, it is that house. Let's find out what this is all about, Ducky. Now that's a fine start for a cozy dinner in Lafayette. It could only happen to Candy Matson, San Francisco's well-known private investigator. Whether she's at home in her penthouse on Telegraph Hill, or at the races in Albany, it makes no difference. Trouble always seems to pop up its dangerous head, and this was no exception. A quiet afternoon watching the wrong horses finish in the right positions, then driving along a road on top of Berkeley's skyline and out of the dusk, a man's cry for help. That cry led to a maze of events that would have done justice to an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Want to hear what developed after the man called for help? Well, here's the gal to do it, Candy Matson. What was that the man said about a maze of events? He's right, but in oh such a mild way. Just to pick a word at random, it was murder. Sorry if the word sets up a feeling like a fingernail down a blackboard, but leave us to confront it. That's what it was, murder. And it might have gone on, ad infinitum, if I... Well, that's part of the story and comes later. What comes firster was the fact that I stopped the car, turned around and drove up in front of this lonely house high above Berkeley, overlooking all of San Francisco Bay. 
The front door was open, so Rembrandt and I walked right in. There, by an open window, was a man on his knees, draped over the windowsill from where he called. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a heart attack. Quick, Rembrandt, help me get him on the couch. Surely. Oh, then we'll get his collar open and loosen his tie. Oh, there we are. My wife, gone for doctor. Good. How long ago? Don't know. Ten minutes, maybe. Can't wait. Too late. Here, take the envelope. Deliver it. Deliver. Take it easy. Don't try to talk. Save all the strength you possibly can. This is important. Must talk. Muzzle! Never mind his collar, though. Won't do him any good. Not now. Candy, you don't mean he's dead. I'm afraid so. I can't feel any pulse. This is a fine kettle of smelt. How do we explain this, Dove? The only way to explain it. Just tell what happened. The way it happened. Who will believe that we were just driving along a lonely road, heard this chap call for help, went to his aid, and then had him expire gracefully half a minute later? It's too pat, Candy. The truth is always hard to swallow, Rembrandt. Well, this is cozy. What do we do now? Leave. Report it to the police and be on our way. There's nothing we can do by hanging around. We could stay and console the widow when she returns. No, I hate scenes like that. She'll cry, then I'll cry, and I'll feel miserable for a week. Come on, Ducky, let's go. You aren't forgetting the envelope, are you? No, that was the request of a dying man. I'll follow through with it. Oh! Rembrandt, what's wrong? It just startled me. A black cat just ran across the doorstep in front of us. Now don't start anything like that. A cat's a cat, whether it's black, green, or beige. It's only the kind that walk on two legs that makes me worry. Start worrying, then. Here comes one of the males of the species. Oh, uh, pardon me. Uh, Certainly. Are you the doctor? Yes, that's right. I'm afraid you're just a bit late, Doctor. The gentleman in there is dead. What? Jerome dead? Oh, the fool. I warned him. I'm not being curious, you understand, but where's the gentleman's wife? Why? Inside, isn't she? No. Just before he died, he said she'd gone to get you. She called me uh, on the phone. I assumed it was from the house line. Well, I just knew something like this would happen. It was that black cat. Oh, Ducky, come, come. Uh, By the way, Doctor... What's the gentleman's name? Moreland. Jerome Moreland. Wait, just a moment, young lady. If you don't know him, what were you doing inside? That is a good question. Answer the good Dr. Candy. Well, my friend here and I were driving up the road. Obviously, Mr. Moreland made it to the window, opened it, and called to us as we were passing. I turned about, went in, the door was open, I found him on his knees up against the windowsill. We lifted him onto the couch, tried to make him comfortable, but it was too late. He died in less than 30 seconds. Hmm. Come along with me, will you please? First, I want to examine Jerome. Then I'll have to have some information from you for my reports. We went back inside the house, and the doctor busied himself with whatever doctors busy themselves with when they examine a corpse. Rembrandt and I stood in the entrance hall and watched while he had a smoke. When the medic finished, he fired a volley of questions at us. Where we lived, how long, occupations, etc., and etc. Then he excused us. It felt funny being on the opposite end of an inquisition. But the doctor was nice enough about it, and it had to be done. We gave up the idea of dinner in Lafayette, drove back across the Bay Bridge and ate at a place in Chinatown. And all the time I had one tiny, gnawing thought in the back of my head. What had happened to Moreland's wife? When one's husband is dying, you don't stop off for a pound of hamburger and call the doctor from the butcher shop. After dinner, Rembrandt, who had been silent, spoke up. Dove, 
I can't place my finger on the exact cause, but I have a slight touch of the vapors. Oh, Ducky, I'm sorry. It was either the sight of that poor dying man on the couch or the tomato chow yuck. In either case, I'd like to get home, attack the aspirin bottle, and retire to my downy. Would you be a love and drive me to the domicile? Certainly, dear. Got a little errand I want to run anyway. Oh, girl. You aren't going to entangle yourself in this Berkeley thing. You know me and my hunches, Rembrandt. Something smells about this deal. I don't like it. In the first place, I'm not too sure about that doctor. The more I think about it, the more it strikes me that he gave the late Jerome Moreland a very amateurish going over. I noticed that too. It was a family home, Ducky. It showed great huge gobs of loving care. If Moreland's wife was that kind of homemaker, she wouldn't just run out of the house and call the doctor and forget to come back. I admit, it does sound suspicious. It's that cat, believe me. You do have a touch of the vapors. Come, Lamb, I'll take you home. You're becoming delirious. I drove Rembrandt to his place on California Street, then over Kearney to the Hall of Justice. It was just possible that my number one boy, Inspector Ray Mallard of San Francisco Homicide, might still be on the job homiciding. The only place to park was a red zone, so I took the loyalty oath, parked, and went into the grim, gray structure of justice. Mallard was still homiciding. Well, Cupcake, what brings you around to these dank dungeons? Not love. Not at this late hour. If that isn't just like a suspicious flatfoot, a girl drops around to say hello and right off the bat she gets a verbal left right in the chin. You gotta admit it, Candy. The thing looks pretty phony. Social calls are usually made a bit earlier in the evening. Okay, you've got me. I'm here on business. You see? If you'd admitted it in the first place, you would have saved five lines of dialogue. What's the pitch? I just met a doctor. How thrilling. That doesn't happen to just anyone. Said doctor affected me like aphis. What's the aphis on the aphis? It's something to do with a gent who died under my very nose, Mallard dear. That's occupational with you. I suppose we start from the beginning, and I can sort out the facts. Do you know a man by the name of Jerome Morland? Jerome Morland? Are you kidding? He's merely one of the world's outstanding scientists. Shake hands then with the hand that unloosened his tie. He up and died this afternoon. What? What? That is terrible, Candy. Mallard, dear, I've never seen you so quite upset. It's going to upset the entire country. Dr. Moreland was a very vital cog in the United States international security. I'm afraid I don't understand. You will when you start reading page one in tonight's paper. Come, come, Candy, you're better than that. Moreland? Moreland? Doesn't that mean anything to you? No. Sorry. He contributed largely to the H-bomb, and from what I've heard, he's working on something that currently would have outmoded both of them. Oh, sure. Now I remember. He made the cover of Time about a month ago, didn't he? That's the one. Imagine. And I was there when he died. How did it happen, Candy? Rembrandt and I were driving up this road in Berkeley. We heard this fellow call for help from his house. We went back, and there he was. Heart attack, I'm sure. What a game. One of the men an awful lot to the security of this country. He was one of the colossal brains of the world. Of course, you'll be called in for the inquest, Candy. Oh, sure. That I know. After all the data the doctor put down, I'm going to be the star. Who was the doctor? Uh, what? His name. What was the doctor's name? Mallard. And this you won't believe. I forgot to ask. And you make a living as a private detective? Oh, Candy, give it up. Marry me and I will. Change the subject. One of these days, one of my hints is going to seep through that sponge-like head of yours. In the meantime, thanks for the information on Jerome Moreland. You leaving, Cupcake? Uh-huh. I've gone as far as I can here. That supersonic barrier of yours, Mallard, is a little hard to crack.
As I left the Hall of Justice, the fog was oozing in through the Golden Gate. The lights of the city shot up and in turn were sent back from the fog bank, giving the town a fluorescent look. I bought a paper, and sure enough, there were the details on the death of Dr. Jerome Moreland. Headlines, that's what. He was everything Mallard said he was, a world-renowned figure. And, of course, my name was mentioned prominently as having been there at the time of his death. I went home, hit the sack, and had a fistful of dreams for myself. Mallard was the star, in color. The fade-out came with me in Mallard's arms, just as the bell rang and saved me from having to go another round. It was nine o'clock the following morning. Hello, Yukon 28209. Miss Candy Madsen? That's right. Sorry to wake you. This is the coroner's office in Berkeley. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. You'll have to appear at the inquest of Dr. Jerome Moreland. This afternoon at one o'clock, this office. Okay, I'll be there. Thanks. Quite all right. That definitely was the end of Mallard in Color, so I got up, showered, pressed, and started applying the lipstick. And that's when I remembered. Looking for the lipstick in my purse, there was the letter the good Dr. Moreland had entrusted to me. I'd actually forgotten all about it. I looked at the envelope. It was addressed to Hans Middlestad, Snug Harbor Hotel, Embarcadero, San Francisco. I had an appointment to have my hair done, so Mr. Middlestad would have to wait. I dropped down to my girl, Veda. I sat, she worked, and several pin curls later, I picked up Rembrandt and drove over to the coroner's office in Berkeley. It was the usual routine. Questions, answers, I testified, then Rembrandt, then the doctor we bumped into the day before. Still no Mrs. Moreland. That, to me, was the major issue in the whole deal. There was only one opening. That was Hans Middlestad at the Snug Harbor Hotel on the waterfront in San Francisco. That's where I went. Who? Stand to windward and I'll do it again. Middlestad. Hans Middlestad. I don't believe we have anyone registered here under that name. Of course, I've just returned from vacation. Well, if you can get your mind off the Whispering Pines, would you take a look in your book? Yes, of course. I'm terribly sorry. There doesn't seem to be any middle stand listed. One moment, Buster. What's that? What's that? Oh, right there. I I must have overlooked that. This is Middlestadt, isn't it? It doesn't spell Smithy. Now come on, what's the room number? Uh, look, miss, uh, why don't you beat it? You're leading with your chin. It's my chin and I'll lead with it if I want to. Are you acquainted with Herr Middlestadt? Acquainted with him? Of course. Not only that, I have a very important letter oh, for him. Well, why didn't you say so? Room 332, to the left after you get out of the elevator. The clerk lifted an eyebrow toward the north, indicating where the elevator was. I found it, the elevator, not the eyebrow, and hoisted myself to the third floor. A few steps around a dingy corridor, and I was face to face with room 332. I knocked. I cooled my heels for about ten seconds and knocked again. Still no answer, so I tried the door. It squeaked open. The blinds were down and I was in almost a dusky darkness. I tumbled around for the light switch, found it on the wall next to the door and clicked it on. What I saw wasn't pretty. The body of what had been an attractive woman in her early forties sprawled out on the floor on the other side of the bed. 
It only took one look to tell me that she was dead. A set of finger marks around her neck told me how it had been done. And another look at her neck told me who it was. A locket with the name inscribed in back, Ruth Morland. I'm glad I got that far because that's when the lights went out. Ugh. I floated through space for an eon or two. Then vaguely, something came into audible focus. A voice. A familiar voice. Yes, it was Mallard. At first it sounded as though he were coming from a deep well. Hmm, so that's where I was. Then his voice changed. Come on, snap up. You've been up long enough. Come on, cupcake, get with it. I'm tired of having to hover over you like a nursemaid. So you got a lump on your head. I've got work to do. Little by little, his voice came into normal shape. Candy, be reasonable. Untwirl your eyes and talk to me. Lights came back on. Mallard stopped spinning around and I saw where I was. A cot in an emergency hospital. That's the girl. Hi, Mallard. What happened? Posing you tell me. Well, I would if I could, but I can't. I know I got smacked, though. That's for sure. You could use the knob on your head for a bookend. How did I get here? It seems whoever tapped you on the noggin didn't want you to take it permanently. They gave you treatment lightly, just enough to put you in a blackout. Then went through your purse like a tornado through Kansas. The room clerk at a joint called the Snug Harbor phones the police to come pick up a limp tomato named Candy Matson, and one very dead tomato named Ruth Moreland. Do you have anything to do with Mrs. Moreland's ugly finish, Candy? You know better than that, Mallard. Answer me this, then. Could that hotel clerk have given you that wallop? Might, but I don't think so. I was just wondering. He had shifty eyes at the 49ers' backfield. Okay, so someone goes through your purse. Can you look at me? As best you can. That's a girl. Now, do you have any information somebody could be after? Mm-hmm. It's not in your purse. Mallard, have you been going through my purse, too? Don't get excited. It was only in the line of duty. Don't you realize that a woman's purse is private domain? Not when the owner of said purse is laid out unconscious on a hotel room floor. Now answer my question. Do you have any information someone could be after? I already did. I'll repeat the answer. Uh-huh. Like I said before, it's not in your purse. Where is it? I have it on me. Oh. <laughs> Much safer than a purse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what's it all about, Candy? Honestly, Mallard, dear, I can't tell. I really don't know. What's the information? I don't know. Who killed Ruth Moreland? I don't know. You know, Candy, sometimes our friendship makes my job awfully tough. Okay, so we don't know nothing. The chief is terribly unhappy about this whole thing. Take my advice. Don't go on any long trips. I wobbled to my feet and Mallard took me back down to the waterfront to get my car. Then he patted me on the hand and I went home. Now I was more than just curious. If somebody tagged my head with a sap, I wanted to know what the reason was. So, throwing etiquette out the window, I reached down inside where I was keeping the letter and opened the envelope. Addressed to Hans Middlestad, it read, Too many after Formula 12K have decided on this method. In case my heart goes bad, you will receive this. Look for the collar on Jake. Keep up the good work, Jerry. Mm. 
Now, where was I? Look for a collar on Jake. Jake who? Whom? What sort of collar? Barrymore? Prince of Wales? Hoover? In spite of the Jean Krupa symphony going on in my head, I wanted to hear more. The only chance of getting sane was to revisit the late Dr. Jerome Moreland's house in Berkeley. I eased back over the Bay Bridge, held out my hand with two bits at the toll gate, held my breath as I passed the clam flats, and whipped up into the hills. There it was. The house where Rembrandt and I had heard the late scientist calling. Naturally, it was locked. But I knew a way to get in. Suddenly I was. I probed about, expecting nothing, and found just that, nothing. I tried the back door. It led out onto a terraced patio. I came up short. There, under a tree, was a small boy sitting with a cat in his lap. The same cat, I imagined, that had frightened Rembrandt. Well, hello there, Sonny. Hello. What's your name? Tommy. What's yours, lady? Candy. That's a pretty name. Yes, it is. Very pretty. I hope I didn't startle you. Well, yes you did, frankly. My apologies. I was looking for my son. He must have climbed over the fence. I didn't expect to find him here. Now that both Doctor and Mrs. Moreland have passed away. Tommy, where have you been? Right here, playing with the cat. Oh, yes, of course. Here, let me have the cat. That's a good lad. You come right home now. Mommy says that dinner is almost ready. Again, I am sorry, miss. I hope I didn't frighten you. Come right home, Tommy. That's a pretty cat, Tommy. How long have you had him? Oh, he's not mine. He lives here with Mr. Moreland. I see. Well, don't you think you'd better go along with your daddy? That's not my daddy. What? Who is he, Tommy? I don't know. I never saw him before. What do you know about that? Listen to me. Uh, Tommy, what's the cat's name? Jake. Thanks, Tommy. I'll see you later. You've got one gross of popsicles coming. On me. Sometimes I'm a dope. I should have sniffed something when the guy didn't question my presence in Moreland's yard. Now he had a head start on me. He disappeared around the corner of the house and I ran over there. Nothing but fence. Only one way out, and that was over. I wasn't too familiar with fence-climbing tactics, but I could learn. And did, in a hurry. I shimmied over to the other side, just in time to catch a glimpse of my man, with the cat clutched firmly under his arm. He was running down the back lot. There was a little stream running through the property, dividing the homes on one side of the block from those on the far side. I saw the plan he had in mind. He was going to cut across the small wooden footbridge, duck up through one of the yards on the other side, out in front where he obviously had a car waiting for him. I saw I'd never be able to head him off on foot, so I ran back the way I came in, found my car, and whipped around to the other street. Empty. It was a one-way street, so I followed, taking what I thought would be the same course as my quarry. I must have gone about 15 blocks when all of a sudden I was confronted by, one, a crowd... Two, a couple of very messy-looking cars embracing each other head-on. What's the commotion, officer? Take a look. I shouldn't have to explain that. Quite a tangle. Anyone hurt? Yeah, the lady in the sedan's pretty badly banged up. The guy in the coupe is dead. The guy in the... That's him! What? Do you know him? I... No. Uh, 
Was there any sign of a cat? A black cat with white paws. Listen, have you been drinking, lady? No, uh, officer. The man had a cat with him. I haven't seen any cats. I was only a block away when I heard the crash. Then Jake's bound to be in the vicinity. Excuse me, officer. I've got to see a cat about a man. I got out of the car, left the officer with his mouth open and his arches flat. Now, if I was a cat, where would I go? Someplace away from the confusion of people and wrecked automobiles. That's where I looked, and sure enough, I found Jake in five minutes. I picked him up, got back in the car, drove over to the Hall of Justice in San Francisco. I didn't have to worry about my friend in the coop. I knew where we could find him if we needed him. On a slab in the Berkeley morgue. I found Mallard sitting at his desk going over some papers. I walked in and plopped Jake, the cat, right in front of him. What the? Get this thing out of here, Candy. What's the matter, Mallard, dear? Is the great, bold, flat-foot scared of cats? It doesn't look dignified. Get him out of here. Uh Uh-uh. I have a hunch Jake is a very valuable cat. He belonged to the late Dr. Jerome Moreland. See that collar around Jake's neck? It has a little container on it. Pry it open, Mallard. I think we'll find something. Hmm. It's a solid little thing. There we are. Wait a minute. Come here, Jake. On the floor. That's it. Empty the tube, Mallard. Well, what do you know? Microfilm. And five will get you ten that they contain the formula for Dr. Moreland's latest development. Okay, Cupcake. Start unraveling the mystery. Well, this is going to sound incredible, but it's true, so help me. Just before Dr. Moreland died on the couch, he gave me an envelope asking me to deliver it to the name on the outside. Hans Middlestad, Snug Harbor Hotel, Embarcadero, San Francisco Waterfront. That's where I got smacked over the head, by Hans Middlestad himself. He'd read the accounts in the paper stating that I was at Moreland's demise. He figured the good doctor had given me information to pass on, whacked me on the beanie, and went through my purse. I'd like to have a talk with that guy. It's too late, Mallard. He's busy atoning for his sins. He was killed this afternoon in an auto crash in Berkeley. Well, that saves me a spot of work. I don't like guys who go around slugging my favorite private eye. When I got home, after having my head examined by a sap, I decided to look at the message inside the envelope. I thought that if it was worth getting my skull cracked, I was entitled to snitch a look. The meat of the thing indicated that said Middlestad was to look for the collar on Jake. That left me nowhere, Mallard, until I got to thinking about what Rembrandt had said earlier. It was the cat. I had kidded Rembrandt about that. Then I did some more thinking. It was just a hunch, but it worked. A little boy told me the cat's name was Jake. The cat carried vital information in that thing on his collar. Just how vital remains to be seen when you have your boys enlarge that microfilm. You were right. It is incredible, Candy. How about Mrs. Moreland? How did she figure in the deal? The way I get it is this. Moreland and Middlestad had worked together just recently. Moreland had finished his formula. He'd been working night and day... As a matter of fact, that's what brought on his fatal heart attack. In his type of work, he trusted no one, except Hans Middlestad. A bad trust, as Middlestad was a foreign agent, and he was here for the express purpose of getting the facts and figures away from Moreland. He became impatient, bumped into Mrs. Moreland on her way to call the doctor, forced her to go to his hotel where he tried to make her tell him where the doctor kept his records. She wouldn't talk, so in a wild burst of frenzy, he choked her to death. That was when I walked in, shortly after. Those spy boys are tough cookies. Yes, but not especially smart. 
If he'd been patient, I'd have given them that information willingly, according to Dr. Moreland's dying request. Isn't that irony for you? That's right. The poor dope was built by his own chicanery. As it was, he almost got away with it. If it hadn't been for that auto wreck, he'd have been off and running, back to his comrades. And I use that word deliberately. Well, Candy, I've got to admit you used your head on this one. I most certainly did. I've still got the lump. Come on, Mallard, knock off for a little while. You can buy me a Gibson. A Gibson? Sure. You got one coming. And while we're at it, one big bowl of milk for Jake. Straight. Listen again for excitement and adventure. Just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Heard tonight was Daniel Roy as Mallard, Keith Morrison as Rembrandt and Hans Middlestock, Carrie Bray as the Doctor, Guy Earl as the Man and all sundry voices, and Rory Ward as the Boy, Tommy. The program stars Christine Daniels as Candy and is written by Monty Masters. Direction by Jack Ward. Rough editing by Rory Ward. Sound effects and mastering by Richard Summers. The characters in tonight's story are entirely fictitious. Any resemblance to actual people is purely coincidental. This is Jack Ward speaking. This program is a recreation brought to you from Electric Vicuna Productions in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and was originally produced in San Francisco. This production of Candy Matson was made for the love of radio drama, and no copyright is inferred or suggested. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.